0: Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. So Reena, what are we talking about this week?
1: So last week, we had the amazing Erica Lust on our podcast as a guest. And that kind of has inspired a lot of conversations around porn, in particular I was fascinated by the representation of body hair in porn, or the lack thereof, especially when it came to women and pubic hair. And I had a very fascinating conversation with a friend of mine around body hair. She grew up in a time before computers and the internet was readily available, and she brought up this idea of, huh, I wonder how much porn nowadays influences children, more easily accessible... And so yeah, this week I've just been thinking about all of the messages we receive through porn, how has it influenced us. The hair thing is fascinating. The body hair thing is actually incredibly fascinating because before body hair was removed for aesthetic purposes, people back in the stone ages used to remove their body hair as a survival tactic. So they used to shave their heads because it protected you from being grabbed you were an easier target because they could grab you by your hair. In harsher weathers, shaving was also used to avoid frostbite from water becoming trapped and frozen against your skin. But the way that they would remove hair was quite, like, obviously not as nice as methods today are, although I think that the modern-day methods aren't actually that nice either. Women used to whittle stones to a sharp angle and slide it down your face. Alternatively, they used to use tools such as animal teeth, sharp flints, Or clamshells as tweezers. So they actually used to also remove hair from legs? I don't think legs. I think that they are referring here specifically to heads and faces. But not pubic hair? Not pubic hair, no. So this is purely non-aesthetic reasons. People used to remove hair. And then thousands of years later, hair removal was modernized in ancient Egypt. And this is where sugaring comes from, which is where you create a paste made from sugar, water, and lemon. And that it pulls out your body hair, and it laid the foundation for the waxing techniques that we have today. But actually, I know a couple of people who use sugaring, and they all really like it. They say it's a lot gentler and not as doesn't hurt as much as waxing. I have never sugared nor have I waxed, so I actually have no opinion on either. But that's kind of fascinating. And yeah, and in ancient Egypt, body hair, especially pubic hair, was a symbol of being uncivilized, of being depicted as dirty and as unhygienic. So this is why women opted for hair removal. Specifically, it was a trend set by Cleopatra, who removed all of her body hair, including off the top of her head, to sort of signify her social class. And what about down below? All of it gone. Apparently, even men preferred to have clean-shaven faces, as having a beard or stubble was common among servants and slaves. In ancient Greece, it was also common, which is why when you see all those statues of women, the women don't have any pubic hair either. And in the Roman Empire, wealthy women and men used tweezers, razors different stones, and different kinds of creams. Somewhere along the lines, though, we like diverged when it came to why men and women removed body hair. So for women, it became a symbol of purity in class, whereas obviously like growing facial hair and having hair is now a sign of manlihood within our society. I mean, the first modern day, at least in the Western world, during World War II, we had the first razor in 1915, that was aimed towards women by Gillette, and it came with its own rose velvet packaging. And the first electric razor for women was released by Remington in the 1940s. This article I read made this interesting comment where it was saying that actually the rise in women shaving their legs was because they couldn't wear stockings every day due to nylon shortage, and so this sort of became a thing. It turns out people have been removing hair for a very long time. The same friend that I was talking to She mentioned that for her, the messages she got growing up was the same, that pubic hair or body hair was something unhygienic and dirty. We were kind of talking about where we received this messaging from that we need to remove our body hair because I don't remember when I started shaving. Do you? Yeah, I was about 11 or 12 and I started
0: getting hairs on my leg and like I'm Indian, so my hair is dark. And it just needed to go because I used to wear skirts to school, the school uniform. Yeah, I just, I think I got my dad's razor from the bathroom and I just did it. And it felt so nice. I remember it was just so nice and so smooth. My first hair removal experiences were always just really nice because it just felt really beautiful afterwards. Although I do think, going back to porn, I do think that... The reason why, or a lot of why, women's pubic hair is removed is really a cultural thing because it's to do with the infantilization of women, which is also why, like, I really won't do it because I don't want to be seen as a little girl. I also cut off the stupid fucking bows they put on knickers and underwear, like, with little children. And I was watching this documentary, which is on Netflix, Hot Girls Wanted. It's the documentary film from 2015. And there are all these 18-year-olds. As soon as they turn 18, they just start working in porn and they last for about maybe three months maximum or something because there's such market for young girls, virgins, chase girls. Actually, teen is the number one searched for term when it comes to porn. Kind of disgusting. And yes, so the shaved pubic hair really feeds into that. And of course, even if they're just 18 because, you know, they have to be by law to film porn or whatever... They're playing much younger, much innocent kind of
1: girls. I mean, not to sound like complete old lady, but you are very much still a child at 18.
0: Yeah. Also, what's really funny about, like, I think it really reflects our culture. Like, we were talking to Erica last week about how the majority of porn out there is a reflection of mainstream culture. Mainstream porn is a reflection of our mainstream culture. And we have a rape culture. Because she was talking about enthusiastic consent, which, if teen is the most searched term, and most of those teens are, they were saying in the documentary, you know, it's their first time, they're really forced into it because they need the money or something like that. Those are the storylines. And one of the girls said, it's all about the guy getting off. And The girl just has to do exactly what he wants. And that's basically the state of most porn today, which reflects, you know, how, I guess, men see women, objectify women. Women are here to, like, give men pleasure. They're not full human beings who are equal. And that's all totally reflected in porn. And also, it was really shocking in this documentary just to highlight rape culture. In 2014, abuse porn websites averaged over 60 million combined hits per month abuse porn is basically is when the girls are they're giving blowjobs to people and they're forced to vomit they're humiliated they're called names they are hit things like that There was one girl on there who, she was saying, look, we're acting, and yeah, it's hard, but would she rather, you know, kill herself doing, like, a a minimum wage job? And I guess maybe not. But then she also said, well, as long as the guys are kind of looking at it and getting off with the fantasy, then they're not doing it for real to some woman out there. And I'm not sure how valid that argument is, actually, because Cindy Gallup has this really famous TED talk, I think it's from 2013. It's called Make Love, Not Porn. And she starts this TED talk with a brilliant line. She says, I date younger men. I have sex with younger men. She likes younger men. And she noticed the trend, because Cindy Gallup is quite a bit older, recently, that young men were doing things like, They were getting a bit rough. Because she's a confident woman, she just told them, well, no, I do not want you coming on my face. And she has the absolute confidence to do that because she's Cindy Gallop. But it really worried her that these men were taking these ideas, in her opinion, and I think she's right, Like from looking at all this really violent porn online, and they thought that that was what was needed. And last week we were talking again with Erica Luster, where she was just saying, well, it's really important to just know this is porn, this is like misogynistic, this is like a fantasy, and this is not how you really treat women. I think Cindy Alec was saying the same thing, like it's worrying that, say, a a younger woman or somebody not so experienced might think that's normal when a guy is trying to do that stuff and might not be as confident and self-assured as she is just to be like, no, that's not how you treat me. And that's really problematic.
1: And I think it's to the detriment of all parties involved, because I think that with the ubiquity of porn nowadays and free porn and access we have to it on the Internet, that a lot of teenagers are watching porn before they've actually had sex. And so, a lot of their sex education, a lot of their expectations come from porn. And I think that people of all genders are experiencing this. So, when they're going into their first sexual experiences, they have like the completely wrong idea. And I think also the fact that we don't open, like, we don't talk about consent, we don't discuss what consent is. I mean, I know it wasn't part of my sex education in high school. So, if you're going into an experience with unrealistic expectations, and you don't fully understand what consent is, I just feel like no one's actually having a good time, because everyone's just performing what they think they should be doing, rather than actually doing, well, doing what they enjoy.
0: Yeah, I think, like you say, it kind of takes away our ability to explore ourselves and our own sexuality. There's this really interesting study that a woman called, I think, Meredith Chivers, Uh, I don't know if I'm pronounced that right did where she showed gay men heterosexual men lesbian women heterosexual women heterosexual men a bunch of videos and the videos were kind of varied so like it, there was one of like a heterosexual couple making love gay couple making love man strolling down the street woman exercising baboons doing it and then she measured them in terms of like she asked them for the subjective arousal And then she also like hooked them up and their genitals up to a bunch of fancy scientific equipment. It was really interesting what she found because she found that like, say, for example, heterosexual men mostly said what turned them on was the heterosexual couple making love and the lesbian couple making love, but not the gay men and not the baboons. And then they were in line, their genitals and their minds were in line. But actually, when they did the same to women, the women, it was like, two different surveys going on. Because what the women said, they said the heterosexual men turned them on and the baboons didn't turn them on at all. However, their genitals had a completely different story. So they were turned on first of all they were turned on by the the baboons women they were also turned on by the lesbians also by the gays also by also by like everything and it was just so confusing and I think because women are forced to just play these roles in male fantasies like you know a lot of porn is about the male fantasy which is why I guess it's important to have all different types of all different people just exploring and making porn about their own sexuality too most of it is male gazy and I think a lot of women's sort of sexuality and their exploration I mean, it could be so wide, we don't know what our potential is in terms of eroticism and sexuality, but we've been so prescribed all our entire lives just to be a certain way or be expected to be a certain way. And that's why also I think a lot of people, a lot of us feel very embarrassed about what turns us on, what doesn't turn us on, like a lot of women rape fantasies turn them on. And maybe that's because of culture. Maybe because it's just a safe space where they're giving away power in a fantasy world. It's not really got to because obviously in porn, as in fantasy, you don't have consequences. It's not really you know. But I think a lot of women, especially feminists, and I think I've read quite a few articles by like black women who are struggling with the fact that they might be into bondage because you know there's a whole history of slavery and bondage and all that kind of stuff. So it's so complicated. I think one of the things about porn and like why people are so against it is that our social images of ourselves and our sexual selves don't always match up. Mm. And so it's a nice private space It could be a nice private space where you can kind of explore that and just feel free. Or you could just deny it and it could threaten your identity. And that's why I think a lot of people really hate porn. Mm.
1: The thing about porn is, I guess this goes back to the fantasy thing that you were talking about, right? Because it's like, the thing that bugs me personally about porn is that porn, well, there's a lot of things that bug me about porn, but I feel like porn removes the aspect of what is actually fun about having sex, right? But then I always feel like that's a double-edged sword. Also because there are different ways to have sex, right? Sometimes the way people have sex in porn is the way you and a partner would actually have sex. So the fantasy aspect of it that is independent of porn itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But the lack of intimacy and trust, I think trust and consent is really vital to me. Because regardless of what you do with your partner, you always have to have that trust and agreement and the consent there and porn really lacks that and so there's something kind of disturbing about it and i think that that's where feminist porn kind of can subvert that i think yeah consent is just really important to me and i think that just trust there's there's something so like i mean there's something obviously something really like macho and like misogynistic about mainstream porn i remember in hot girls wanted the guy in the in the documentary not in the do, in the documentary series You like watch him and he just puts up a Craigslist ad that's literally called Hot Girls Wanted. He's so sleazy and he's so icky and he's so gross. But that aspect of it is really gross. But then, yeah, I don't know. I think that the like demonization of it kind of brings up more shame, right? Because we look at porn as something bad. And that adds to shame. Because, like, as a woman, there's already so much pressure and shame around sex, right? If you like to have sex, it's bad. If you don't like to have sex, it's bad. Just like everything about women and sex is in some way criticized, demonized, and just poked and prodded at. It's interesting you are saying about the guy, because I
0: found him a little bit sympathetic. Really? I mean, he was very sleazy. He was making money off vulnerable girls, but then... They they had a, this household where they just had freedom. They were making so much money. Yeah, they were giving them the cut and stuff. And they did not want to stay in their small towns like their parents. And they just wanted to do something else and break free. And it was like a kind of freedom to them as well, which I found interesting. And they were also kind of lovely, this kind of little dorm house. The other guy I found in that documentary, super sympathetic was the boyfriend of one of the girls who was making porn videos. And he was so supportive of her, he still was her boyfriend, he tried to, you know, talk her out of it. Eventually she did stop doing it, but he accepted her, he loved her. They had conversations about what she was doing. And he said, like, unlike the sex in porn videos, they had an intimacy. And I just thought that was really cute and nice and accepting. And you often don't see men who who don't have an ego and a pride and talking about honor and all this like sort of stuff that he was just a young guy who was just supporting his girlfriend and accepting her and loving her for trying to do whatever she had to do in her life.
1: Yeah, but I mean, going back to what you said before about the dorm-like situation, but I, I think that that is the problem, right? Because like, if girls were free to explore their sexuality. If sex wasn't something that was so shamed and so looked down upon, then these girls could explore sex in a safe space, right? They could discover what turns them on, discover their sexuality with boys in their small town. I think it was a safe space for them
0: because I think, like, one of the girls said, well, she started going out with a guy and then he dumped her and she got hurt, but then she doesn't really have sex otherwise or have a boyfriend, but she does with porn. It was some of the scenes, some of the things that that some of the girls did were, like, kind of horrific, but they were also like, I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well get paid for it. So I did see it as, like, they were claiming ownership of their sexuality, maybe because they were denied that anyway. Like, it is a reaction to something, for sure. I feel like they saw something, or they were like, listen, I'm going to be sexualized anyway I might as well get paid for it I might as well have my freedom I might as well decide what I'm gonna do and they a lot of the times as well as you know them being treated like some terrible scenes which were just like no they were also like yeah that guy was so nice or it worked out well or they were enjoying themselves too I don't think it's so it it didn't come across as so black and white to me I don't know and mm. they, they had these bonds and these friendships and they just maybe they really needed to to have that experience
1: totally i guess no it's just it's just that i just keep thinking like if our society wasn't so fucked up then the girls wouldn't have to explore this facet of themselves in this way in no way shaming the girls like always 100 percent gonna support and be on their team always but i just i don't know it, it i maybe this is like revealing something kind of puritanical about me but it's just feels I don't know it feels like a weird violation of something that is so private in like an unsafe way I think that probably says more about me than it does about
0: why do you think it's unsafe though I mean actually to be fair it was a little bit unsafe because they don't use condoms and that wasn't great but
1: oh yeah that's why they're in Florida in the documentary they talk about this is that porn industry used to be in California and then California made it a law that you cannot have you cannot shoot porn without, I think it was, condoms. And so the entire porn industry like moved to Florida because Florida is the world's most bizarre place.
0: Apart from Manila. We'll talk about Manila on our episode on QAnon, which is coming soon. But yes, a lot of weird people in Manila and Florida. So be careful when you're choosing your holiday
1: destinations, people. Yeah. We should add that the bizarre people in Manila are not actually people from the Philippines. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the people from Florida who moved to Manila probably the weirdest people from Florida moved to Manila. Anyway, getting back to because the thing is, Serena, so if we saw like a dorm full of say gymnasts and they went to the thing and they were practicing gymnastics every day, you know, to compete in the Olympics or whatever, would you would you have that same reaction where you would think that it was unsafe or something like that?
1: No but i think that the reason why i perceive it as unsafe has nothing to do with this idea of a bunch of young girls living together and acting their sexuality freely i think i perceive it as unsafe because there's a certain amount of naivete to these girls where i don't think that they fully understand the long-term ramifications of what's happening to them and again this is just my opinion right like they could 100% disagree with me. And if they say, actually, that's not the case, then totally believe them, right? Like I'm projecting onto them. But unsafe in the sense of like, I feel, I don't know. I, I just think back to like what I was like when I was 18 and some of the silly stuff I did when I was 18 because I didn't fully understand the way the world worked. I didn't fully understand who I was. I didn't, like, I didn't know much. And I feel like I felt empowered or I felt like I was doing smart and good things that now, many years later, I'm like, that was not even a little bit the case. And yes, of course, I'm projecting onto these girls because, you know, maybe in 10, 20 years, they're going to be like, no, I still feel the same way about it.
0: Yeah, no, and I think maybe they, they will have those thoughts.
1: I would probably agree with you
0: that, you know, they they do have to process stuff. I'm just saying that they they obviously
1: somehow needed to do it i think that's what i what i'm hung up on and like if we didn't push girls into such a category then maybe they would have other outlets for exploring this facet of themselves that wasn't this
0: yeah where they weren't being exploited for you know their youth they have three months in the business they and then they have to move into like more fetishy things apparently because they don't actually last that long But yeah, I think as women, we do sometimes feel so like our sexuality is denied to us. And I can see that they are just going for it because they want to claim that. Like whether it's safe or good psychologically for them in the long term or there's a different question, but I can see what they're trying to do and what it also brings them or how they in that moment, you know what I mean? Like why they're doing it. I think it's a reaction to society and not being able to obtain their sexuality or having the freedom to explore it, like you say, that they then... The space that's available to them to do it is the porn space in Miami, right? I understand that, what you're saying.
1: And you put it so much articulate. I feel like I would feel completely different about it. Let's say an 18 or 19-year-old girl decided that she wanted to go into porn, and then just to reference back to our last episode, if she decided that she was going to make a porn film with Erica Lust, where it was a female set, a female director, it was focused on female pleasure, it was, you know, there weren't sleazy men who were treating a woman like an object. Like, if it was actually a safe space for women to explore their sexuality and their fantasies, I feel like I would feel completely different about it. But I don't know, I feel like you're 18 years old. I mean, I've said all of this before, but then you're going on to the set where you're used and objectified in that way. And like, I don't know. No, um,
0: it's it's very interesting because I watched a, a documentary. I think the first documentary I ever watched about porn was the Annabelle Chong story. So Annabelle Chong was a porn actress who became famous for an adult film that was promoted as the world's biggest gangbang and the film is kind of a documentary when she's preparing for this big 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 gangbang basically where she has sex with many 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 men the documentary film starts before the gangbang and it culminates at the the gangbang and then shows a little bit after it was so interesting because she talks about she came from singapore from a very conservative family i think and then she came to London when she was very young, probably about 18 or something. I don't know the exact facts. I watched it a long time ago. But I think she was very young. She came as a student and she was sitting on the train. She met a guy on the tube, I think. And, you know, they hit her off and he asked her if she wanted to go back to his place. And because she was like, I'm in London, I'm free, I'm like a young woman, she felt empowered. She said yes, which, of course, many of us do at any point And it's great. However, for Annabelle Chong, all is not right. I don't think he takes her into the flat, but he takes her into the stairwell. They kind of had sex there, and then she's still like, okay. Because like you said, consent is also, you know, you're in a situation. What do you do? How do you feel? What, what are your ideas of what you should be doing? All of this sort of stuff. Like, it's very complicated, this documentary and how she was feeling. But anyway, so she has sex with him, and then some of his friends come around. And at some point, it becomes clear that he's just called. Like a lot of men are coming and basically she is raped. And then what she wants to do is she really wants to have this gangbang where she has sex with a lot of people and she's initiating it. And it's a classic psychological thing where you try and recreate a trauma in order to be in control of it. And in the end, she did this in 1995. She was only 22 years old. She had sex with about 251 men over the course of 10 hours, which at the time was the largest number ever in a pornographic film. She said actually, in her words, she said that she was motivated to do the film as a desire to challenge gender roles which I find very interesting. And when you talk about safe space, this is where the things come on because she was also told that everyone would be tested for HIV and stuff and actually they were not. And then she was also never paid the $10,000 that she was promised and never received any money from the videos, allegedly according to her. So I think... She was definitely exploited and that's the nature of the porn industry is very fucking sleazy sometimes or most of the time, in fact. Mm. So, yeah, I can see these girls being like, yeah, I'm 18, my innocence, youth and my sexuality and all of these things are being narrativized and written for me. And almost it could be as a response to that, that they decide... To in a attempt at control to go into that, and that's
1: fair enough reaction. I fully support women's rights to do whatever they want with their body. I don't like that it benefits men. Like I don't like that men can get off on it. That's it.
0: Yeah, I mean, as always, Dispensers from the King Kong Theory. She has a lot of really good stuff to say about porn, and exactly what she's saying. She's saying there's no mention of female desire before the 1950s, first time women came to come together in vast crowds to declare, we're sexual beings who experience intense, inexplicable urges. Our clitorises are like cocks. They demand relief. Is during the early rock concerts of the 60s. And she links this with The Beatles and groupie hysteria. And she says, well, like, this major phenomenon is kind of papered over because men don't want to hear about it. Desire is their exclusive preserve," she says. "It's extraordinary to think a young girl screaming her passion as John Lennon plays his guitar is despised, while an old codger wolf-whistling a teenager in a miniskirt is considered a game old boy." And we talked about this actually before about like the Beatles and uh, female hysteria and like how they were just ridiculed, but actually was an expression of a lot. Yeah, I think we do need to reclaim our sexuality and our desire and explore it in all of our relationships. And also, of course, by watching porn made by and inspired by women and women film crews. This week on our newsletter, we've got a link to one month free of Erica Lust's film catalogue. So you can check that out if you want to. Just subscribe to our newsletter, it's misinformed.substack.com. And on that note,
1: here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Brought to you by Monica of Berlin Boudoir. Hi, my name is Monica from Berlin Boudoir. Here are three things you can do this week to get in touch with your sexuality in a feminist way. One, explore different things that turn you on, such as writing an erotic story. And hint here, I have today Instagram Live, when I'm talking how to start to write an erotic story with Anna, who's an expert on that. And I will also have in the future in-person workshops, so tune in. Two, become friends with your body, explore it, and listen to what it wants. Three, Watch diverse porn made by creators of a diverse background, not just male porn made for men. Thank you for listening. Until next week. Goodbye.
0: If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends.
1: And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also listen and
0: subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We
1: are an independent, nonprofit podcast. If you would like to show us some love you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed.
0: Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.